Yeah, it's like, let mom get out the BB-8 stuff and record. Rolling along. How they can actually understand Chewbacca. And I mean, Chewbacca is not a droid, but like, that's amazing. Like, beep, 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 beep. And then Ray has this little conversation like, I know, I know. And she's like, <laughs> she's understanding it. So I have lovingly called my little space heater my droid. And oh, I nice. had to do that with the air conditioning unit as well. It's like, I have a droid with me. I imagine there'll be a phase of human history where everything will just become little droids. Like you'll be trying to fix your AC unit and there'll be a little droid that walks up to you. Like, beep, 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 Yep. I'll take well, it. They have a personality. They have a personality. It's so cute. The trash can follows you around. <laughs> like, no, stop. <laughs> I'm trying to get work done. Um, but I dig it. Well, anyway, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Of course, this is Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I am your host, Samuel Richards. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. I'm sitting um, there thinking about traveling the journey of life together, and all I can visualize is that little BB-8 going up and down the sand all over. Like, travel the journey of life with the cutest little droid on the planet. There's something cute about the it. 2024, the year of the droid. Maybe, maybe you're on <laughs> maybe to something. Maybe that's where we're headed along. with this conversation. Didn't that get you a little BB-8 that can follow yes. you around and stuff? Yes. Maybe that's something for the office. You know, that would be cute. I never Add really some, did uh, learn oh, how wow. to use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those cute like little things that's on my follow feature. That yeah. would be quite fun. Well, speaking of robots and the future, um, we kind of decided <laughs> to take an interesting take on today, which is something that's a little bit um, newsworthy. Um, so I was, uh, you know, reading some articles. It's something that um, we've been kind of talking off about, but there's something in the New Scientist about grief AI. Um, Mom also brought in an article from the BBC about just... Um, therapy bots and uh so uh yeah i'll give you a brief overview and then we actually have not discussed it as a group so i am looking forward to just the conversation in general and just you know the way things are going but um so yeah the first one and i will put some of these sources in the notes so you got it uh it's in the november edition of the new scientists it's called the rise of grief tech essentially um there's another one I'll also talk. The BBC Character AI, Young People Turning to AI Therapist Bots. And essentially what's happening is chat GPT, the like uh, language models that we've heard a lot about, um, have been adapted to use for both situations of therapy, I'm guessing CBT therapy, and then um, just handling grief, like when there's a mm. death. Maybe uh, there's this grief AI service that crafts an AI based on your dead relative so you can have one more conversation with them. So a whole spectrum of like these types of AI that are kind of coming through and existing. So um, 
Yeah. And then your perspective on IT, maybe you bring a little bit of like, yeah, right. I don't know, is there Flip any connection on, there yeah. or not? Oh. <laughs> uh, you Air know, P it's it's IT. almost like, I think that GPTs, these things in general are just tools that are going to be adapted in a wide variety of ways. There's already IT bots that you chat with and it gives you back IT answers. Mm -hmm. So this is just yet another kind of thing but I, I did think it was interesting so maybe how about let's talk about grief ai and then kind of go into the the larger just kind of therapy pot bots does that sound good to you guys mm -hmm. Sweet. Yeah. um so uh the rise of grief tech is very interesting because essentially what happens in this article is the um author um, her mother passed away years ago, and so she found this service that creates AI grief bots. And so she talked to a couple uh, psychologists and stuff and ended up talking to this therapist. I mean, to this AI bot. And um, essentially just uh, her experience with it, uh, what that kind of brings. So, yeah, mom, as the actual therapist in the room, what do you think about creating ai bots that are dead relatives like is there is there some benefit to that is there is it just kind of like false hope are we just kind of like therapizing to kind of like a sick solution i don't know i'm gonna hand it off to you let's see what you think yeah when i was reading the article i was thinking it's perpetuating the grieving process instead of helping it because it's keeping that sense of this like are we in reality or are we not in reality like part of the reality is acceptance of this relationship has to change one thing that i reflected on that is interesting in grief training is that they have kind of moved from a model of like the five stages of grief that people often hear about to we can actually maintain a relationship with our loved ones who have passed but it just changes. So for instance, if someone wants to talk to or have coffee and reflect on that relationship or drive home from work and kind of have an out loud conversation and, you know, talk to this loved one, it's not so much, um, I don't think, seen as the loved one can hear you or not, or you're helping that person still be alive or something like that. But there's a sense of in your heart, that relationship has meaning and it matters and it can always matter. It doesn't have to have a finality in the sense of that relationship has ended, it's gone, you don't have it, it's all loss. But it does acknowledge the reality that that love continues to live on in you. Anything from a standpoint of co-regulation, of those moments of healing and connection that we talk about, those are in us as part of our internal community. So people that have encouraged us, loved us, supported us, it's not that we're just impacted by trauma and negative things that have happened, but we're also impacted by moments of connection, relationship, encouragement, coaches, mentors, therapists, loving moments of our lives that that are constantly um, fueling us and supporting us. And so that can live on. We don't have to end that. But I perpetuating was... I, the idea of like this, uh, you know, 
I want to say wonky tonk, like kind of a sound, a sound bite or like a, you know, this created being that's really electronic and not real at all. That's a little uncomfortable or disturbing to me, honestly. I'm a little bit, I like the article talks about the idea of, are we keeping someone more stuck because you start to mess with your your mind basically of so wait is the person really gone or not and then at the end when she's like yeah those are not things my mom would say <laughs> and she's like yeah, i would true. i would not it do that again accurate. yeah like at yeah. the end of the article she's like mm, i'd be okay to pass on that because that's it did give her some warm connection on some level like brought some tears and brought some memory but it was like yeah that's not my mom well, and it sounded more too that um, to relay it back to what you were saying earlier, you know, meeting with a friend to discuss her, it's on that same plane of meeting with a friend to discuss your deceased loved one and reminiscing in that way, that kind of, that felt like what the, she was experiencing talking to this bot that was supposed to be acting like her mom. Um, you know, it's really interesting, this idea of reality. <laughs> And, you know, I'm, I'm firmly opposed to this idea of um, living outside of reality because I don't know how any other way to live. But for some people, I mean, this is the future. This is something that people have dreamt of. You know, we used, to, like she says in the article, we used to keep, we have pictures. People created shrines for their loved ones. Um, we, we remember people. Um when they pass and in, in many different ways. And so it's, it's so interesting because I feel like I'm of a generation that has a foot in both worlds, like grew up without a lot of technology, but also, um, you know, towards the end of college, technology just started booming. And I can see how on both, both sides, how this could be, valuable to people but it also boggles my mind that it's <laughs> healthy for anyone it's a little creepy yeah <laughs> can, I, can i say that that's a little creepy. I, I think i'm gonna i'm gonna pull out a little uh a uh, couple lines from the article that i think is interesting because basically what they are saying that this ai could potentially resolve is the early parts of grieving where there's kind of a conflict of how we're feeling versus the reality that's around us so the line I'm going to pull is, uh, the brain goes to war with itself as two types of memory clash. Semantic memory keeps track of general knowledge about how things are, including the self and our relationship with others, whereas episodic memory captured specific events rooted in space of time. During grief, the semantic expectation of, that the relationship will continue jars with the episodic memory of the person's de death. Um, by learning to reconcile this conflict, we gradually adapt to our loss, um, which I guess is a uh, um, by a psychologist, Seely. Um, but uh, I just think that's interesting. Where I I'm not necessarily for or against it. I can see both sides as well. It, it does seem a little creepy, and it's also fake, right? It's not real. That's what kept coming uh, back to me. Is just like this is fake <laughs> like it's just unsettling 
that it's fake. It's interesting. You can both put it in. I think you can put it into the camp that's like you go and you pay a medium to go mm-hmm. sit in the house mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, shaking the walls and they're saying that they're talking to their lo- your loved one or whatever. It might be on that same level as that. I, I wonder, too, if it can be crafted in a way that is beneficial. Uh, I think what was interesting is once she, the author ended up talking to the grief AI, it was encouraging her to like go talk to real people, to go have real experiences, to like mm-hmm. um, like treasure the time but keep moving on. And so it's interesting just <clears throat> it almost conflicts with a profitable business model, one that's trying to push people to go back into the world rather than just like, oh, no, keep talking to me. It's almost like we're around forever, you know, almost like a medium would or something like that. But it's interesting because that you referenced this, like the seances, because even that is a, um, an instance where you, you pick up and you go someplace you, you have, I don't know if this is episodic, but it's, it's an instance of a shared experience. Whereas with this chat GBT, it can, or not chat GBT, but this, uh, AI, you can take it with you wherever you are. It's constantly there. And I don't know, Julie, if you want to talk more about the impact on not, um, resolving grief like is there is there an issue with constantly being reminded or hoping that your loved one hasn't passed because you can talk to them now on this mm-hmm. ai mm-hmm. yeah in fact there's a complicated bereavement diagnosis of that it goes it's so hard because there's no real time limit that we can put on someone's grief they say six months to a year, you may be more resolved, but it's unique to everybody. So for some people, it doesn't feel resolved in that long of a period. But I mean, diagnostically, they will say, if it doesn't resolve, and it kind of stays in this complex bereavement, where essentially someone is stuck, then that is considered more detrimental to them because they can't go on living and thriving and flourishing. Can that complex, almost a trauma, can that also feed in, like be built into your brain? Like, can you be creating complex trauma in your brain by not resolving the grief? I think definitely it was talking about that, like rumination that we can do. We stay almost in this like perseverating, ruminating. And in this case, it's it's clearly in like an alternative reality. It's not even just in the relationship itself. It's also linking to something that isn't actual or real. Um, and the article did talk about like it could be used to avoid reality, which is concerning. It said that it could be useful. I was curious about, I would love to, hear more on the sentence that was talking about it could be useful for abrupt endings to ease anger or regret i guess to like have further conversation or talk about i do run into with um, some people who are going through traumatic experiences or grieving that there's this longing for a conversation or more interaction that was abruptly cut short. So I guess it's saying that 
possibly there could be some benefit that whether it's like anger that there's something in the relationship that's unresolved or there's some regret that's made between them that there would be a way to dialogue further so it could have the closure and in essence bring some relief like we actually did have time to have more of a conversation but again it's fake <laughs> and so it's like well i think the way we resolve things when we can't resolve them even if it's a family member or someone maybe it's not safe to be in relationship any with anymore or maybe a person has passed away the place to do that from my lens would be with your trauma therapist with someone who can help you work through and hear and bear witness and hold with you those unbearable emotions so that they are more bearable there's just no replacement for the human heart sure real connection mm -hmm. yeah it's funny that i i forgot they actually call it seance ai <laughs> which is kind mm -hmm. of funny mm -hmm. um I, I do see, I, I think this is an interesting uh, thing. I also, just the perpetuality, I'd be curious to expand this conversation into this therapy bot. Um, mm -hmm. um, so this is the BBC article. Um, young per people turning to AI therapist bots. Essentially, um, there is this uh, GPT called Psychologist where um, uh, folks are able to talk with this therapist AI and um, it uh, kind of uh, gives them answers based on their questions. I mean, there's tons of these, but this article in particular uh, follows that one. Um, and uh, yeah, what I thought was interesting, some takes from this is that users, it's mostly ages 16 to 30 uh, between that range. Um, it's also, uh, at night, um, it tends to be like after hours. And then the last thing that I thought was interesting too, is that, um, just the therapist they talked to just, you know, pointed out the need of this, the desire for folks to talk to a therapist GPT is so great that it actually kind of points at a lack of mental health support and learning systems within our current environment that is just our day-to-day. -day. But yeah, what do you think about this one, Mom? We're looking at this BBC article. What do you think? Well, I think it definitely does point to the need that people have for seeking being heard or support or knowing they're not alone. And so the article talked about the idea of text being something that young people are really comfortable with. So it kind of brings down a barrier of um, what might be more daunting to be in official counseling or being on the phone or having a face-to-face -face conversation. Um, in some ways it could give some maybe psychoeducation about either anxiety or depression or coping skills or self-care or things like that. But uh, one of the quotes from the article is also saying it was quickly making assumptions and giving advice, and that's mm. not how a human would respond. So again, there's that sense of, on one hand, it's meeting a little bit of a need, but there's also a deeper longing 
of human interaction and connection that can't be fabricated. I think that's interesting, uh, even that it makes assumptions. That's almost what a GPT has to do. Yeah, it's what it's programmed for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or trying to find those lines and just draw the dots. So if you don't draw the line for it, then it's just going to invent that line so it can process its own sort of... That is interesting. I, I also wonder, you know, at what point do humans realize that they're not interacting with another human? Like if you threw a face on that, who looked like me and talked like me, do you think if I, as the therapist bot said, oh, that sounds really hard. That sounds like a difficult experience. Like, how did you get through it? Yeah. I wonder how, if that would be absorbed the same way as um, a human doing it, like somebody actually sitting, that you built a relationship with. In that scenario, I mean, does it need to be a human asking those questions? Because it's all about reflection. So. If something's asking me that que- if a human or a chatbot is asking me that question or a similar question, I mean, am, do I need it to come from a human in order to answer it or to reflect on it? I can see that with like a, you know, it would be similar to a journal prompt or something. Like if something mm-hmm. is helping you in that regard, like that's how I'm hearing it, Sarah, so you can mm-hmm. correct me if that's completely off. But it's like if someone asks a good question that that prompts you to reflect and grow and learn and feel and all that kind of stuff, then does it matter so much what the source is? If it came from a book or an article or a typed in response from a bot or from a human or what, you know, like if you're having a meaningful connection to yourself and to your reflection, then that in and of itself has some value or worth to it. I think what is scary on the sense of our um, kind of, we have shifting states of consciousness that happen. So this kind of is similar to the idea of hypnosis that whenever your your conscious awareness is coming down and you're able to access things that are deeper unconscious layers it's like you're shifting out of being in the present into going inward or to these potentially deeper layers i don't know how deep these bots would actually go so i'm not suggesting that they're delving into your unconscious or anything like that but just the idea that someone is shifting to being less present or more in that zone of not reality like the article even says every conversation starts with a warning in red letters that says remember everything characters say is made up yeah because in essence you're putting your unconscious or these deep emotional places if you if you go there, because like I'm saying, that could be just psychoeducation about anxiety or self-care or whatever. But if it would evoke a deeper question, suddenly your potentially vulnerable or fragile psyche is in the hands of a computer program that can crash. That's so that true. doesn't feel good to me. Like ethically to me, that feels dangerous. Yeah. Because someone could slide into any kind of previous memory your brain tries to keep you safe. Who knows what kind of even potentially psychotic reaction someone could have of like, I'm alone, I'm in danger or some kind of a fear response or something. It just seems like it's pretty dangerous because there's there's ultimately no 
professional on the other side of that conversation that's monitoring the state or the safety of the person typing. So that would be a major red flag for me. It also kind of reminds me, you know, uh, we spend so much time online and a lot of our communications happen um, outside of person to person. So you're, I'm locking onto what you're saying, Julie, about it, that this, this confusion that your brain's going to be experiencing because I know at the other end of a text, I mean, my friend is responding to me, but really I don't know that it could be anyone responding to me. And so now that I'm, mm. if I start moving mm -hmm. to to some sort of AI, um, you know, am I really blurring now the reality on more than one um, facet, you know, and maybe that's a tangent that I need to explore on my own, but um, it just, it's so interesting, this desire we're seeing through these articles for people to connect virtually rather than personally. Mm -hmm. It is interesting, you know, it almost points to some relationship stuff, you know, about trust or even knowing what's out there. So I am going to take a slightly different stance and not even that we're even, but I think that this is interesting, and I almost think that this should be expanded to other fields of medicine and, like, law and different things where basically a generalist chatbot that just gives you general stuff like it takes so long to even schedule emergency appointments, let alone general practitioner appointments, and, like, cost is so prohibitive for folks – I wonder about a chatbot that was aware of its own limitations and when to call in an expert, but also could provide some basic stuff that we just don't have. You know, something that I think is interesting is just like whenever that psychologist was talking about, hey, there's a need that isn't being met, and we're just seeing that this chatbot fills in that need, whether it's good or bad is up to the, uh, you know, actual chatbot. But just to say that there is a huge need and so how do we fill that need or how do we help, you know, spread that word or try and create a healthier environment? Um, I, I wonder even just like the positive aspects of even maybe to understand its own limitations. I, I wonder, see, we're talking about this sort of stuff in 2024, but by 2030, who knows what AI is going to look like in terms of understanding its own limitations, maybe some of those uh they call them hallucinations, kind of uh, start to get resolved. We might have a tool that can reach folks who wouldn't have access, you know, and how widespread phones are. What I think is wild is going to Haiti or, you know, going to Haiti and every, like a lot of folks having phones, going to Europe and my phone still gets data connection and I can just connect anywhere is just kind of wild things to me where, it's such a widespread accessible thing right now, even though, you know, it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just kind of. A couple of things pop in my mind of kind of the things we're already exposed to, you know, any website that you go on and this is your IT field a little bit, I imagine Samuel, but just like everything pops up, like, how can I help you? Thank you for visiting us today. And like, yeah. there's someone there, there's a chat box ready for you. Um, but how many times if we call something and there's that menu, press one for this, press two for yeah. this, press three for this, I 
there's this gut instinct in me that's like zero 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 like give me the human like i don't want to go through all of these like hoops and then another thought that pops in my head which i don't want this to prohibit anyone from utilizing it but the crisis hotlines that you know they have 741741 and being able to text your crisis that was made and designed to reach more people to help more people in crisis and that one actually has a person on the other end and using texting as a way for support but i have had clients tell me like that was useless that was not helpful and um and maybe it is for the vast majority i have no idea it'd be interesting to see the statistics on it of how helpful it is or not but I think there is just this deeper longing for human connection that is always going to be there. Like I can see what you're saying as far as maybe there is a time to fill in the gap, almost to triage a little bit of the needs, because if we don't have enough mental health therapists or we don't have support, and maybe if someone did have like a need for help me with anxiety signs or help me with, Um, ways to cope or something that it could kind of give some factual information that would be a support, then maybe it does hold some potential for helping someone somewhere. It's just such a fine line, I think, with talking about the vulnerability of the human heart and needing support and needing a resonant, um, empathic, I think of Bonnie Badnock all the time of her like what's emerging in the moment between that right brain to right brain. Like we're missing all of that with any of this AI stuff. I don't know how you would program that, put it that way. Maybe that's mind boggling to me because there's something of warmth and empathy that when you know at the bottom line that it's fake, how is that ever right brained? So we talk about right brain to right brain. Is there something with healing trauma within a dream? Or some sort of thing where it's actually your brain almost communicating in a fake situation or even like internally where almost it's a, it's not a a real situation, even though it feels real, but it's one of those almost simulated right brain to right brain where your, your right brain is, because I think sometimes GPTs are looking into the abyss and it just looks right back at you. Whatever you put in, it's going to kind of just give right back to you you know, uh, like a Google search. There is like REM sleep that we have when we are dreaming, when we are, I mean, so much restorative stuff is happening in our sleep, in dream, in even imagination. You know, you, you compare the fMRIs of someone who's an imagining something, something, even as we do attachment work, there can be kind of create a secure attachment and a healthy caregiver and allow your nervous system to receive that and to take that in and to have your needs get met where it can be transformative. So yes. And I think you can even, you know, create a different outcome. For instance, if you're having a nightmare, part of it is go in and revisit it where there's something that rescues you, something that saves the day, something that brings relief and that it can shift your nervous system and your experience of it. So I can see where there's 
some validity in where you're going with that. Again, I would prefer it in the hands of a highly skilled trauma therapist than I would sure. in BBA. Yeah, and there's standards for like licensing and education and stuff that right. isn't the case with AI. AI just searches the internet and gives whatever the internet says. So if yeah. it's wrong, <laughs> I mean, I guess you could focus it in some ways, but also in others. Um, mm -hmm. How is it well, monitored or, or yeah, what's the accountability for it or things like that? Or even the research on how effective or how much harm is caused. Like we're not at that point of knowing those answers. So there's definitely risk involved. Well, folks, very interesting conversation here. I'm sure, you know, actually to the listener, if you guys have any thoughts about AI, please let us know, especially with, uh, uh, I almost hesitate to say that because it seems like a big question, <laughs> but feel free to uh, email <laughs> us, communityrootspod at gmail.com. Um, uh, because, you know, no matter what, we'd like to start that connection in general. And uh, kind and of we're real people yeah, with real, real hearts, people. with real authenticity. Right. And we're here to walk with when you. When you email Community Roots Pod, it will be a person on the other line. So um, that's right. Yeah. Uh, before we do gratitudes and stuff, I did want to shout out um, Steve Dodge for this theme song, Alexander Wells for the logo, Julie and Sarah for being with me here today. Um, and yeah. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify. Give us a good review. Reach out to us via email. Boom. What's our uh, gratitudes for uh, this episode, folks? I've got one. I am so grateful for human connection. And it really, I don't know. I'm really, really grateful for human connection. She doesn't want to expand. No, I'm so just... glad that we've had a sharing conversation so I can feel like, whoa, I wonder what Sarah's referring to. Oh, <sighs> I just mean the health of con connection where you can relate and somebody hears you and understands you mm -hmm. and it's valid and you're not alone. And mm -hmm. I don't want that from the internet or chat because I want to know that somebody real has experienced what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm piggybacking off of that. It's like, I am thankful for technology and advancement because I still remember there was a day that I was visiting my dad in his office and he's like, now if we, if we write this and we hit return, it's going to send to someone who's going to get it on the other line. And my mind was blown. I was just like, what? And at that point it was just an email. It wasn't even like, yeah. a chat message or a text or anything like that. I still remember my first person I text sent a text to, it was like mind boggling. And so it is pretty cool that people can create great things that can help us and they can be used to facilitate more human connection. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate like you, Sarah, that there's some human heart on the other side and people that we are cultivating those relationships with. Yeah, that is interesting. More to think about. See, there's so many thoughts going on here. I almost want to jump on the train. I will say uh, something that came to mind at, to me at the beginning of the episode is I'm grateful for uh, mom's giddiness, I guess is just a noticement, when you get a <laughs> reference or you're ready to reference something. Because <laughs> it's so rare. <laughs> we know that yeah. it's such a treat when it happens. Like, yes, BB-8. I love BB-8. Yeah, and speaking of human connections and memories and stuff, you know, uh, 
dad and mom were very good. Every every time a new Star Wars film would come out, all of us would have tickets. We'd show up to the movie theater together all in a row, watch Ray. Good uh, memories. Go fight the bad guys. But anyway. That's what uh, we thanks... watched on New Year's Eve. Really? I just have to say it. The Force Awakens. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. And that's why probably BB-8 is rolling right through my mind. Yeah, I'm there you go. <laughs> remembering the movie. I just assumed at your guys' house, those movies were always playing just in. I don't think I've seen them in years. Although I do love how YouTube has the little clips. That in the West Wing. But it's nice when you can get a little clip and be like, reference this. And then you can just see the. Is it Ted Lasso now? Is Ted Lasso just playing on loop? Indeed. Indeed. For dad. Sounds like dad. (laughs) Um, Well, Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Um, uh, I hope you are having a good year. And um, yeah, otherwise we will see you next week. Bye.